Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Movie Attic Headquarters with your host, Betty Jo Tucker, author of Confessions of a Movie Attic, right here at www.blogtalkradio.com. Hi, all you movie fans out there. This is Betty Jo Tucker thanking you for tuning in to Movie Attic Headquarters. Now, you don't have to be a movie addict to visit here, but if you are one, it's definitely the place for you, especially today, because veteran movie producer Stephen Simon is here to talk about the most uplifting films of all time, as well as his new film, The Address of Happiness, and his book, Bringing Back the Old Hollywood, which is also his current project. This is Stephen's second visit, and we're very happy he could be with us again. He's had many, many years in the movie biz and produced such acclaimed films as Somewhere in Time and What Dreams May Come. His other insightful books are Spiritual Cinema and The Forces With You, which explores movies dealing with such topics as The Nature of Love, The Meaning of Life and Death, The Concept of Time and Space, and the visions of our future. In fact, folks, when we decided to have a show about uplifting films, Stephen was our first choice. So let's bring him on right now. Welcome back to Movie Addict Headquarters, Stephen. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you again. Well, it's always such a pleasure to have you on our show. And we're also happy that Diana Sanger from Classic Movie Guide will be co-hosting with me today. Diana Thanks for taking the time to join us this afternoon. It's my pleasure, as always, Betty Jo. Thank you. Well, I understand that you just uh, rushed uh, home after a screening. Is that right? 80 miles an hour on the freeway. (laughs) (laughs) In La Jolla, in San Diego, in La Jolla. Well, we're glad you arrived safe and sound. And I I suspect that you I'm sorry, Diana. That was 80 miles uh, an hour on the 405? (laughs) <laughs> the, the the eight in San Diego. The eight. So does that mean that people were honking at you and insisting that you go in the slow lane? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> eighty miles an hour down there, it's people get irritated at you for for driving that slow. Yeah, we notice that right. a lot when we go to Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. I I used to live in that same area, so I know exactly what you mean. And I I have to uh, tell our listeners that. Uh, uh, Diana, you and Stephen have a lot in common where movies are concerned, and we'll get started right after we check with Nikki to see if she's ready to help with the show. Nikki, are all systems go in the chat room? They are, and everybody's really looking forward to uplifting movies. Thank you very much. I, I know uh, I know that that we are, and uh, thanks to the folks who sign up to uh, participate in our chat room. We really appreciate them as well as all our other listeners, and we appreciate you, Nikki, for being our chat wrangler and our producer. So now that everyone is present and accounted for, let's get on with the show. Diana, why don't you start the ball rolling with the first question for Stephen? Okay. Well, after interviewing you and reading your book, um, Stephen, I know that you have very um, different perspectives about film and what's a good film. 
So I want to know what makes a film uplifting for you. Well, boy, that's um, <laughs> you know, it's such a it's such a big question. But for me, it's making me feel better about being a human being. Oh. I think if I had to if I had to boil it down to one thing, it would be that makes me feel better about being human. And that sounds really simplistic, and it is in many ways very simplistic, but it's not an easy thing to accomplish. Because when you look at most media today, and unfortunately, I think most of the movies that come out of mainstream Hollywood, I don't think you feel, walk out of there feeling better about being human. Oh. You know, you may have been scared to death for a while, and it was fun, or you may have gone on a great adventure, and that was fun, or you may have even laughed, and that's good, that's close, and I think, you know, a lot of comedies can make us feel better about being human, but when you see a movie, and I'll just throw one out there that comes to mind, like Forrest Gump, mm. I think you walk out of that movie feeling better about being, simply being human, and I think that's really important today, because there is so much thrown in our face about how violent we are as a species, how selfish mm. we are, how evil we can be, how dark we can be, how greedy we can be. And all of these things are true. They're all mm. true. I don't believe in the ostrich theory of life that, oh, those things don't really exist if I don't look at them. Of course they are. That is a part of our humanity, always has been. And certainly as long as we're having this human experience on this planet, we'll probably always be a part of our makeup. But it is not all who we are. You know, we're also a, conscious, a, a, a species that consciously loves and consciously forgives. And there's this wonderful line in the movie Starman, which is another movie I would consider to be very uplifting, where um, a, a being comes from another planet here and takes the guise of a human and says to the person that he's traveling with, you know what I love best about you humans? You're at your very best when things are at their very worst. And that is a part of who we are as a species as well. We, are, we do do that. You know, there are these incredible acts of kindness when we face tragedies and when we face emergencies, and there's great generosity, and there's great love, and there's great compassion. And to me... That's what I like to feel when I walk out of a film, and that's what I would consider to be uplifting. Very nice. Mm. Oh, that, that is a, that's a wonderful explanation. I, I like the way you think. And, and, Stephen, you already mentioned Starman and Forrest Gump as two um, very uplifting films. So I'm, I promised our listeners that you'd uh, share what you would consider the 10 most uplifting films of all time. And are those two on your list? And, um, Boy, so then, you know, I have to other... tell you, it would be, yeah, it would be really hard. You know, I think it depends. For me, that also depends on the day that you ask me. Yeah, I know. You know, I, I think it's very hard to do that, but I, I would certainly think that would be among them. And, you know, these are very, I want to say right now, these are such subjective answers. And yeah. one of the things that drives me crazy, I'm very proud, and this is a little bit off the subject, but it really applies to what I'm about to say about these most uplifting films. You know, I'm very um, proud to be a member of the Academy of Motion, Motion Picture Arts and Sciences that votes on the Academy Awards every year. So I'm one of the 6,000 people that vote every year. 
And it has always made me crazy that the categories are best picture, best actor, best this, best that. Makes me nuts because it's art. And there is no such thing as best. The only thing that we can say is what we like the most, what is our favorite, that it, we enjoy. But you can't, it's, it's, like, it's like saying what's the best painting of the year. <laughs> I mean, is, was Rembrandt a better painter than uh, Van Gogh or Gauguin? So, you know, these are deeply subjective things for every human being. So I'm not saying these are the most uplifting films. I'll just say these are the ones that I find uplifting, and then there are other people who would find them very different. But, you know, there's a lot of different movies. I mean, A Beautiful Mind comes to mind oh, as yeah. being an incredibly uplifting film. Um, uh, about somebody overcoming such incredible d- difficulties and challenges and being able to live with that and work with that and, and evolve. And I found that incredibly uplifting. The, um, I found the Matrix movies incredibly uplifting. They're very mm-hmm. violent, which I usually don't like in films. Mm-hmm. But, but they also were, uh, had a fascinating comment on what it really means to be human and about saving our humanity and rescuing our humanity. Um, the original Lost Horizon, um, to me, oh, is an incredibly man. uplifting film, an incredible love story, a fabulous love story that I always adored. Um, oh, boy. Um, Heaven Can Wait, you know, is another one of my movies that I think is just extraordinary. A Field of Dreams would definitely be another one. Um, Groundhog Day. Uh, interestingly enough, because I think you can do a lot of things in comedy that I think would be that are terrific. Um, E.T., uh, <laughs> Close Encounters, you know, um, certainly Spielberg movies, a lot of Spielberg movies have that extraordinary feeling to them. Um, a movie like Cocoon, which I always also thought was a fantastic movie and a very uplifting movie. I mean, it, and then there are more recent movies for me. Um, that we, for instance, will get more modern. There was a film out last year called About Time. Uh, that uh, um, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting his name right now because I love him so. Richard Curtis um, oh, yes. wrote and directed, and he love also actually, wrote and directed God. Love Actually. Yeah, which is also a great film. And About Time is an amazingly uplifting, you know, positive, happy film. And you know, I think you can go on, you know, for ten or twenty. I'll tell you, I found a movie that's going to a lot of people are going to be shocked. Like, what is he talking about? Because most people didn't see it because they didn't sell it properly. There was a movie out last year called Oblivion with Tom Cruise, that was an, oh. a beautiful, fascinating, ingenious love story about how deeply in our DNA love resides. It was sold as a big science fiction action movie, mm-hmm. which was really too bad, but it was a great love story. And I found Oblivion to be incredibly, incredibly uplifting. So anyway, those are the ones that come to mind. Well, that what a list. Let, let me uh, go over those again. A Beautiful Mind, The Matrix, Lost Horizon, Heaven Can Wait, a Field of Dreams, Groundhog Day, E.T., Close Encounters, a cocoon about time and oblivion. Now I I have to admit that I've seen all of them, even the original Lost Horizon, <laughs> because I'm no spring chicken. I saw that, and um, only two that I haven't seen, and they're the most current ones: uh, Oblivion and About Time. So I'm definitely putting those on my on my they're Netflix. They're beautiful uh, movies. 
And I think I probably forgot the one. If I had, if somebody put a gun to my head and say, "Okay, talk about," you can just name one film. I probably forgot it, and it would be "It's a Wonderful Life," which I, I, I think would that certainly you were be. Say that. Yeah, yeah, most I people think, would certainly be in your top two or three. I think that uh, Diana uh, really loves that that movie. Well, what do you think of that list, Diana? Are, are some of those uh, movies that you would think of about the most uplifting films? I think he's spot on. Um, I'd also like to know what you think of what I thought was the most inspiring of last year was The Book Thief, and I don't think they pushed that enough either. Um, you know, I think people looked at it as a Holocaust film, of which it wasn't, but did you see that? I, you know, I, I'm going to give you an, a, a really honest and probably incredibly politically incorrect answer. Uh oh. <laughs> um, I didn't see it, and I have no intention of seeing it because I really did think it was a Holocaust film. No, and it's not. there are, and I have to tell you, I am sixty, going to be almost sixty-eight years old, and there are a couple of subject matters, and the Holocaust is one of them. I've seen so many movies about the Holocaust over my life that were powerful and beautiful and scary, and. You know, after seeing Sophie's Choice, um, I basically said, I can't take this anymore. I just can't. I can't. It's too sad for me. You know, I just find it. I know about it. There's nothing. I'm so glad they're continuing to make movies because so the people never forget what happened during that period of time. I am Jewish, so it it resonates very Mm -hmm. deeply with me. I was raised Jewish. Um, But I can't watch them anymore. I, I can't. I, I, can't heard, watch I heard that from a lot of people that were Jewish this year, but we have a cinema society here in San Diego that's run by Andy Friedenberg, and, and they're all mostly Jewish. There's 1,400 people in his group. He shows films, and he has to have them in two theaters. Every one of them that came out of that movie said that is the best movie I saw this year. Yeah, I'm not surprised. So I just personally, again, this is, this is all subjective. I just, I personally... I mean, when I saw Sophie's Choice, it's th- it, that stayed in my mind and not in a good way for years. Okay, for mm-hmm. years, and I just personally can't. And I'm glad my kids are. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I don't, don't want to see any more movies about slavery. You know, not that they shouldn't make them anymore, because they should. Right. And not that I don't admire them, because I do. And not that people shouldn't see them, because they should. And I'm really glad that pe- we don't. I just personally can't take it anymore. You know, I just personally can't do that anymore. Well, I can under- I can understand that, but that now there's a there's a movie that I didn't see last year too. So I've got three to put on my list: Oblivion, <laughs> About Time, and The Book Thief. But now, since Diana was able to add um, a film to that list, I I'm going to say that you know I'm I'm sitting here in my office and I'm looking up over my computer and there's this huge beautiful poster, and it says. Um, Judy Garland, Frank Morgan, Ray Bolger, Burt Law, <laughs> Jack Haley, The Wizard of Oz. It's Metro Golden Mayor Technicolor Triumph. <laughs> and I, uh, I just have to throw that one in because it certainly was uplifting to me about the oh, universal absolutely. longing for home and the courage uh, of the <laughs> of the little heroine. Oh, absolutely. And, just, and the music. Yeah, listen, so, anybody who doesn't love The Wizard of Oz, you know, mm, I'm not sure what we could say about them. <laughs> I know what I feel the same way. So, well, I think we I bit my tongue them. there. 
don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's and then when they did the the uh, the whole tribute to the Wizard of Oz at the Academy Awards celebration, I was just on cloud on cloud nine and oh, very, and it was beautiful too. Very pleased beautiful. that they that they did that. Yeah, uh, I, yeah I tell you, Pink Pink's version of Somewhere Over the Rainbow was gorgeous, just right. gorgeous. I thought so too, and I was quite surprised. I mean, you really uh, sensed the feeling in in her voice when she was oh, singing she, that. Oh, yeah, I just thought that was a great, great, great moment. I agree. When they said Pink sing, you know, and I said, "Oh no, why don't they just show Judy Garland sing, singing?" <laughs> and then uh, I, I just got really into the way Pink was selling that song, and it just seemed so. Uh, so emotional to her, and um, I'm, gl- I'm glad that you you uh, like that uh, too. Well, Diane, I know um, moving away from from the past, I guess, and on uh, uh, uplifting films, I I think you have a, a more modern uh, question, a question dealing with more modern things that you'd like to ask Stephen. Well, I you know I was wondering what what he his favorites of the past year was, but you know he said that he didn't. Uh, Sometimes we remember them until, you know, right close to that film, which I can relate to, too. It's like I well, I can tell you, case. I mean, my, my, my personal favorite film of, of 2013 was Her. Because oh. I found it to be one of the most, one of the bravest, most innovative. I, I'm at a place in my life and in my career, but certainly in my life as a movie lover, as a movie addict, uh, which I've always been and always will be, I just so admire people that take chances, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that mainstream Hollywood is just so averse to doing nowadays. It's so hard to get something done that doesn't fit into the formula. You know, the so-called popcorn movies and things like that, they're all such formula movies. And when I saw her, my mouth was just open. I was just astonished at how brave and innovative and creative and beautiful it was. And the fact that they created an extraordinary love story between a man and an operating system in a computer, and you really bought it, or at least I bought it. So that, for me, that was my favorite. That was one, and then 1A was Gravity, because as a filmmaker myself, just the sheer genius of of what they did in Gravity just kind of blew me away. And I also thought it was a deeply spiritual movie in a lot of ways and a wonderful, wonderful movie about one person's courage, in this case, one woman's courage. I, anyway, those were, those were my two favorite films, and then uh, About Time would have been probably third. Wow, I, I'm with you on, on uh, Gravity, and her, certainly, uh, I agree that it, it was one of the most creative films that was released uh, last year. Diana, did our San Diego Film Critics Society pick her as the best movie? There have been so many group awards, I, I can't remember. No, we did not. Um, <clears throat> it wasn't her. Maybe maybe it was for screenplay. I, I was quite surprised, though, when the uh, uh, when at, at the Oscars, uh, her was uh, named as best screenplay, and uh, Spike Jones got it. I I thought probably it would be American Hustle, but but I was I was happy to see her win win something. So, and and Gravity, I I just you know cheered whenever Gravity was called for for an award, and I, I really agree with you wholeheartedly on that. And there, you know there's what, about Betty time Joe, we again. did pick that. 
You did, we pick, did pick that. We did pick that best film. We did yes. pick that. All right. Well, um, you should be an honorary member of the San Diego uh, Film <laughs> Critics Society, Stephen. <laughs> I can't drive 80 miles an hour anymore, so I don't think I can no. make it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> secrets out. Well, well, I think it's so hard to remember, you know, which group gave gave the gave awards, but I, that kind of stuck in my mind. So uh, I thought maybe I might be having a senior moment here, but uh, but I was right. I was right on that. Thank you, thank you, Diana. Well, I really enjoy going to your site, uh, Stephen, because uh, you have so much. Um, in, so many interesting things there about movies and your books, and so I did jot down your list of your my favorite 2013 films, and, and you hear her and Gravity and About Time, and then you had The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, you had 42, you had Jobs, you had Safe Haven, 20 Feet from Stardom, Stardom and then you had Oblivion, and then you let the the people put put their own choice for ten. And uh, Diana, I think you would agree with um, Stephen about forty two because I read your review about forty two, and you thought that was a that was a, a very good movie. I thought it was an excellent movie, and I was so sad it came out so early in the year because I knew by the time Oscar came, it would be long forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was, but but I liked it too. It was on my honorable mention list. And and Stephen, I really do appreciate the way you choose to label your um, yearly list as my favorite films of the year because I do that too, rather than the best films. And I, but I wanted to to tell you how excited I am about your next movie, The Address of Happiness. And I want us to take some time to hear from you about that movie and why you picked that particular book to make into a movie. Well, you know, it's, it, first of all, it, it's written by um, a, an incredible man named David Kirkpatrick, who I've known for many, many, many years, who was an executive in Hollywood for many, many years and um, left uh, a long time ago and um, is a deeply uh, committed and religious man. And he wrote this uh, wonderful love story, which is, it takes, and I, I can tell people what it is in a, in a nutshell, because it starts in an afterlife setting with two souls who are very connected, and one of them decides to be reborn, and the other one is none too thrilled, because they don't want to be separated, and they know that if they're reborn, they're not going to remember anything, and they're going to have to find each other, and uh, much of the story takes place as they are reborn in separate places and uh, do not know why they're looking for each other, but they do fi- wind up eventually meeting and falling instantly in love and having a family and being together, and then one dies and the other dies, and they're back in the afterlife. That That is basically the story, and it's beautiful. Oh. And it just happens that both of the characters are women. Now, oh. when I get to that point... Um, some people take a, a big deep breath, and it's like, really? And it's like, yes, really. But it's very, this, um, the word uh, God is not mentioned. Uh, the word gay is not mentioned. Uh, mm-hmm. There's nothing explicit in it that will, it is just a love story between two people who happen to be women. And they could have been men. I mean, easily two mm-hmm. people could have been men. And I just found it it's such a beautiful story, and I think it makes such a beautiful comment about our humanity that we are we have evolved to this place. And, you know, one of the things that David and I talked about very early on was this is going to be a PG movie 
at most PG-13. It isn't going to be, oh, let's cast two of the most beautiful women we can, and then let's just have them have sex together on screen and have yeah. people be talking about that. It's like, okay, we're not doing any of that. You're not you know, doing blue is the warmest rock. color, okay? No, we're not. No. Gonna, you know, this we're going to do Rock Hudson and Doris Day. I mean, oh. this is going to be. <laughs> um, it, it is because I don't want it to be about that. We don't, and I find that to be beautiful. So, you know, that is one of them. There's another project which I'll tell you both about because I think you'll, when I tell you the title, you're going to know what it is, and this is something very near and dear to my heart. Talking about bringing back the old Hollywood. Uh, the title is Good Night, Mrs. Calabash. Ooh. <laughs> oh, yes. And um, for those of you who may not know, although you may, uh, Good Night, Mrs. Calabash was, the, was Jimmy Durante. It was <laughs> yes. the way he signed off every show. Um, and for years, people felt that, that was, Mrs. Calabash was an apocryphal person. Well, she wasn't. And she was real, very real. Oh. And we have nine hours of recorded interviews with her before she passed away in 1997. And her children are still around. And the love story between her and Jimmy Durante, which occurred right after Jimmy Durante's first wife passed away, mm-hmm. is such a great love story. And it's so touching and beautiful and funny and powerful and very surprising. There's a murder mystery that takes place in the middle of it um, that wound up being unsolved in Los Angeles. It's a fascinating old Hollywood story. And, you know, that's another movie that I'm, I'm really passionate about making and I'm looking forward to making. Those kind like, yeah, really interesting. Do, have, you, have you cast the um, Mr. No, Calabash? No, but we haven't. I mean, I have ideas for people who I think would be great to play Jimmy Durante, but... You know, this is the kind of movie um, that takes a good long time, unfortunately, to try to put together because this is definitely not Saw 1, Saw 2, or Saw 3. This isn't the <laughs> Avengers. You know, this isn't, you know, a broad comedy, you know, where people are throwing pies in each other's faces and things like that. This is a, a real character piece set in the 40s. And, you know, it's very hard to get people to pay attention to those kinds of movies nowadays as far as the, the, the financing structure of Hollywood movies is because, you know, and they're right. Those movies are very – it's very hard to market them. It's very hard to get an audience. There's basically nobody under 40 today that ever heard of Jimmy Durante, and they're very much looking for a young audience, and this is not. But as I say to people, well, listen, <laughs> no one under 40 – under 50, under 60 or under 70 or under 80, probably ever remembered King George and that he stuttered. Right. No until, one remembered until, that right. until they made that wonderful film with Colin Firth and then yeah. who won the Academy Award. Right. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, great. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Well, you know, so these are the types that are very hard to get made. But uh, we'll stick with it and... I'm either really stupid or really stubborn or some combination of both, but uh, these are the movies it's that I passionate. care about. passionate. Passionate, Stephen. You're passionate. Yes. <laughs> stupid, stubborn, <laughs> and passionate. <laughs> I'm glad that you are, <laughs> really. And now I'm because... being called a veteran, which means I'm old. Oh, dear. <laughs> veteran Hollywood producer, a.k.a. old. Well, you're not uh... getting older. You're getting more valuable, like the Mona Lisa. <laughs> that, that I'm not so sure of, but it's a nice it's a nice thought. 
<laughs> I think it is. <laughs> well, you're. Uh, I'm so glad you mentioned bringing back the old uh, Hollywood because when you were on the show two years ago, it, you really got a lot of us excited about that. Um, we were talking about your book, and I, of course, didn't realize that it was a, a mission too, <laughs> and, uh, and I really got hooked on that. And uh, I think Diana has a question she'd like to ask you about that. Sure. Yeah, just for our audience, can you kind of explain in your your eyes what's the difference between old Hollywood and new Hollywood? Uh, yes, a question that is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, old Hollywood, which basically was from the time the movies started in the late 1890s, but then really with the Nickelodeons in the 20s and then certainly into the golden age of Hollywood in the 30s and the 40s, and even into the 50s and 60s, that was really the old Hollywood. That was when the studios were the power brokers, when the studios were really the ones who decided which movies were going to get made, when the studios made six, seven, eight hundred, well, not eight hundred, five, six, seven hundred movies a year, mm-hmm. when they made movies for every audience spectrum where they had A, units making movies and B units making movies and C units making movies and actors were under contract and sometimes made three, four, five movies a year. My father, um, my birth father, Sylvan Simon, was a contract director and made, you know, three, four, five movies a year in the 40s. That's what they did at that period of time. And there was, n- there was an incredible value put on the written word uh, the story was the king because visual effects were very crude at that time, and there was not a lot that you could do with that anyway. Uh, it was also a much easier time for Hollywood because there was no competition. You know, until the 40s, a late 40s, television didn't even exist, really, and it didn't really come into its own until the 50s. The sports sports wasn't really what it is today there were very fewer many fewer teams they obviously weren't on television television didn't exist so the visual entertainment medium hollywood had all to itself and it really it really did focus on story and and trying to make movies for everybody mm-hmm. the new hollywood is a completely different animal the and the old hollywood was run by these great old moguls the, the, the Daryl Zanix and the Harry Cones and, you know, the people who were the titans of the business, Louis B. Mayer, um, many of whom weren't the nicest people that ever walked the planet. No. But they loved movies, and they loved movie people, and they were passionately committed to film. And they loved it as a form of art and business. It was show and it was business. But... Louis B. Mayer would have never, if somebody in a meeting with Louis B. Mayer had said to him, well, Mr. Mayer, how are we going to market that movie? That person would have been fired. Or the person would have been told, you know what, that's your job. If you can't figure out how to market the movies we want to make, then we'll get somebody else to do it. But we're making the movies. Don't tell us about the marketing. You figure it out. Today, (laughs) it's completely different. Today, every studio every major entity in the industry is owned by a multinational corporation the old moguls and i was honored and privileged to work for two of the last ones uh ray stark and dino de Laurentiis. 
Um, they have all but disappeared. There's probably one guy out there today that I would consider to be in that mold, and it would be Harvey Weinstein, who started Miramax and, you know, is still, you know, Weinstein Pictures is still going strong, and, you know, he is a guy that, that loves movies and loves movie people and is in it because he loves the art form. But most of it now is being run by corporate America, corporate world, uh, where there is a, uh, a terror an aversion to taking chances where the cookie cutter stuff works. Uh, I have to say that I have a lot of compassion for the people who are running the new Hollywood because there is so much competition for the entertainment dollar today. Mm -hmm. Television is so big. I think television has basically taken over quality drama from the movies. I think, so. I think there's a lot more quality drama on television today than there is in film. So it's mm -hmm. not an easy, it's not easy. And you know, it, it used to be when you want to open a movie, it was a question of how much money were you going to spend on television ads. And if you spent enough, you could at least pretty much assure yourself, unless the audience hated the idea of the movie, that you'd get an audience. Well, today with DVRs and remote controls and things like that, People don't watch commercials anymore. I mean, they very rarely watch commercials. People are taping things. You go through the commercials. It's very hard. It's very expensive. The average film today costs $130, $140 million to make, another $20, $30, $40, $50 million to market, so it has to appeal to a huge audience. That's why the studios have gone from making 700 movies a year to 200 movies a year or 250. So it's a completely and – and, and the writer – today has been so devalued in the system. It is not at all unusual for there to be three, four, five, six, eight, ten writers working on a project. And it just is not the same kind of an industry that it used to be where we did focus on story. And to me, that's what the old Hollywood is. And frankly, I do think a lot of that has been brought back now, but I think it's on television. I see. Well, you've got, well then, um, are you concentrating on television, or um, have you made some strides in in what you want to do with the, with this project? Uh, well, no, I have not. No, we haven't. We're still kind of trying to in planning mode as to how we're going to do um, either one of these. I can tell you that we would be thrilled if either one or both of them was on HBO or on something like that, or if if um, Netflix wanted to finance it and. Um, do it that way. I mean, at this stage, as filmmakers, you want to get to your audience. And the idea of getting into a movie theater today, I mean, it would take another hour to go through all the challenges of that, but right. very few movies that are financed today, independently at least, even find their way into a movie theater. Um, it's a, it's, the economics have become really, really difficult. And I think that the, you know, we're seeing the future now, and the future is what and I have to credit them incredibly, is what Netflix has done. I mean, they've, they've revolutionized everything. I, it's just mind-boggling oh. what they've done. You yes, know, with, and with, are your two films on, on Netflix, uh, Somewhere in Time and, and oh, yes, um, absolutely. What Dreams May oh, Come? Sure. And what, oh. Yes, yes, and Any other films I don't admit to. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're on Netflix, <laughs> too. <laughs> the ones well, I don't talk about. Of, Films. You've got Smokey and the Bandit, Murder by Death, Body of Evidence, All the Right Moves, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and uh, I'm, I'm going to make uh, one um, listener very happy uh, to, um, to mention what dreams may come, because Marilyn Ferdinand from uh, uh, Mar Ferdinand Films, she uh, 
she's listening in because she she wants to make sure that people know about uh, what dreams may come because she really loves that particular movie and we've got quite a, a full chat room and I wanted to uh, give a shout out to Nancy Lombardo the host of the hilarious comedy concept show here on Blog Talk Radio. Kat Vecchioni uh, and the wonderful host from uh, uh, Wacko World and the Wacko Network is um, with us, and uh, they're all enjoying. They're all enjoying your um, your interview, Stephen, and all seem to be be fans. So I wanted to make sure that we gave a shout out to to all of them. Want to mention also that um, uh, Nancy Lombardo's Comedy Concept Show is on Fridays and Mondays at uh, 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. And uh, I, I think she'll probably want to uh, to call on you because she has uh, a lot of uh, people who are in show business and, and who would be interested in hearing, especially about bringing back the old uh, Hollywood. Um, now, we need to have the, the URL or the link to your site, Stephen. Could you um, sure. give our listeners you know, that? It, it, Yes, it's called theoldhollywood.com, theoldhollywood.com. And then I want to talk about one other thing, because I know we're going to get close to the end of this, but, you know, the other great passion of my life the last 11 years, because we've just started our 11th year, is the spiritual cinema circle. And um, I, I do want to mention that to people, because this is something that we started in 2004, um, as I said, we just started our 11th year. We have subscribers every month in every state of the Union and in 40 countries around the world. And oh I would gosh. urge, if you talk about uplifting films, I would urge people to go to spiritualcinemacircle.com. Again, that's spiritualcinemacircle.com. And take a look at what we do. We send out four movies a month to our subscribers. It's movies oh. that you get to keep. You don't have to return these movies. Um, we have people who have been with us from day one that now have 500 movies on DVD, uh, courtesy <laughs> of the Spiritual Cinema Circle. Uh, we send out three shorts in a feature every month, and they are all uplifting films, every single one of them are uplifting films. They're non-denominational. Uh, they neither... Uh, when we talk about spiritual, sometimes it confuses people. Uh, these are not religiously oriented. Uh, they are non-denominational. We do not either elevate or denigrate any particular uh, belief system. Uh, these are just movies that we all that we believe you will feel better about being human. So um, this is a great passion in my life, and uh, I host the monthly discussions that we have about each film on every DVD. And I just want to say, lastly, that the first month is always free. Uh, you can get a, you can get your, you know, your first month subscription and see if you like it. And it's a month to month, so you don't have to sign up for a long time. And we have people um, who, as I said, have been with us from day one. So I would urge people to to check out spiritualcinemacircle.com if you're looking for uplifting movies. Well, I'm very excited a... to hear that. I just took 40 people to see Son of God, and I can't believe that the major big newspapers and TV people have trashed that so hard. It's like they didn't see the same movie that other people are seeing, and it's really sad. It is. Well, you know, there was a wonderful line about, um, 
a movie called The Song of Bernadette, which was out in the 50s, actually. And the ad line for it was just brilliant, which is, for those who believe, no explanation is necessary. For those who don't, no explanation is possible. That's true. That's a good That's one. That's very, very appropriate. Well, you are so uh, involved in these wonderful projects, and I want to tell you, uh, Stephen, how much I've enjoyed your uh, all of your books. So when... Um, when the listeners go to the oldhollywood.com, would they be able to purchase the uh, Bringing Back uh, the Old Hollywood? Bringing Back the Old Hollywood now is really is available only on Amazon, and okay. uh, people can um, buy it on Amazon. And uh, the Forces with You, which is my first book about spiritual movies, is also available on Amazon. So uh, for the books, just go to Amazon.com. Yes. And uh, any, move, any movie addict uh, must read <laughs> both of those books. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I really do recommend, recommend them uh, highly. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I can't believe the time has gone by so, so fast. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to, like to add? I, I do want to give you a chance, uh, but... I, I hope that you'll come back again soon because there's always so much to talk with you about, Stephen. You, you've just been well. Thank you. I'm more than happy guest. to do it. It's great fun. Well, it's always fun to have you on the show, and but I'm sorry to say we have to wrap things up, and um, I I just um, am so impressed with the with the projects that you're involved in. And uh, I know Diana feel, feels the same, same way. Am I right about that, Diana? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so the three of us will have to do this uh, another time as soon as uh, Stephen has his address to happiness ready and wants to talk <laughs> more about it. Or good night, Miss, uh, Mrs. Calabash. We'll have him back on the show. Will you come back for that, Stephen? Oh, you bet. I would love to. It's been great talking to both of you. Thank you again. We want to well, go we'll to the premiere. Look, we'll, yeah, <laughs> and we'll look forward to you to coming back on the show. Well, this is Betty Jo Tucker giving a big shout-out to the folks at Blog Talk Radio for featuring this episode as one of their staff picks. Now, that will start uh, tonight at midnight and run for 24 hours, and we really appreciate it. And thanks to Nikki Starr for everything she does to make our show a success, and to Diana for doing such an excellent job co-hosting Thanks to all our chatters and other listeners for tuning in. We hope everyone enjoyed the show. Please come back next time for our third annual tribute to movie songs. We'll have a great time, and you just might hear some of your favorites. In the meantime, don't you forget to check out our movie reviews at realtalkreviews.com. That's R-E-E-L, realtalkreviews.com. And please check out all of, all of Steve Simon's, Stephen Simon's sites as well as ClassicMovieGuide.com. That's all for now, folks. To help us get in the mood for next week, here's Gene Kelly taking us out with a song from a movie that makes me feel good every time I watch it. I'm singing in the rain, just singing in the rain. What a glorious feeling. 
I'm happy again I'm laughing at clouds Dark up above The sun's in my heart And I'm ready for love Let the stormy clouds chase Everyone from the plane Come on with the rain I have a smile on my face I walk down the lane With a happy refrain Just singing, singing in the rain Dancing in the rain I'm happy again I'm singing and dancing in Singing in